provider components. Yeah. You had a cool tweet this week. Yeah. I mean, is it is it okay if I steal your code and then tweet it? <laughs> That's okay, right? Is it well? The real question is: Is it okay if you do that and then ask permission on a podcast after you've already done it? No, I'm, I'm, I'm not asking for permission. I'm just asking that you know that was okay what I did. What it's if I said happen. no right now? <laughs> I'd have to get my burner Twitter accounts ready. <laughs> Your burners, yeah, get them lined up. <laughs> um, it was really cool. It was really cool because we had talked about the provider components earlier like the day before and I kind of woke up to you, you had put that together and did a really good job kind of explaining what it was. So um, let's talk about it. Let's kind of go back. Um, what's like the beginning of this story? Like, yeah, I'm trying to think like what is, I guess it's like the first time you ever made a component that didn't render any HTML. Right. It, it took a block and it yielded stuff to that block. Right. Contextual components come to mind yeah. because a lot of times the root component of like a complex contextual component is just a yielding of a hash. Yeah, but I think it's a little more than that because sometimes you might you might build like a contextual like a table component that's a contextual component, but you might not um, you might not not provide any HTML, but you're expecting people to use that to like build HTML. Does right. That so make sense? yeah, like, I uh, think the difference is this. I think. It's natural to go from a big modal or a big table. Let's just take a modal and say, okay, this is naturally a header, a body, and a footer. So let's wrap that up into a contextual component. And then that guy's gonna yield all three of those pieces. And it makes it for a nicer API and it's just, it's nicer to use. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, so the yield, it is technically a renderless component. But, but I the data it's yielding it's not data as we normally think of data. So it's not marshalling any data from a server, certainly. It's not even transforming any data that it takes in, but it is yielding data in the sense that it's yielding a component function, invocation. Like it's, it's yielding sure. a component, which is in some sense data. But, but I guess that's the thing. That's the I, thing. I don't consider the modal component a, a provider component a provider. because it gives me HTML. It yields right. HTML. It yields other components, but they're used to put together HTML. Right. Whereas the first provider component we wrote was actually can watch. Yeah, I was, I was going to say probably some like auth or access component. It's just... So I think it was can watch. Can so watch. this was an Ember map, and we were starting to customize what the video pages looked like based on um, whether a user could watch something or not. And, um, you know, we had the current session service, and the current session, you know, we fetched that when we boot the Ember app. And um, that has things like, uh, you know, we fetch a session from the server and we have a relationship, like an Ember data relationship between a session um, that's like a singleton in the store and like a user, which there can be many users in an app. This is what we use in all of our apps though. We always have a single session and it may point to a user. And that lets us have the user be a canonical user record in the store, which has an ID and which has relationships to other things. There's nothing special about the user that happens to be the current user other than that it relates to the session. Yeah. So we fetch the session and include the user that also lets us use like JSON API includes, which is great. So on app boot, we fetch that and um, that we have a current session service, which is just like a convenience pointer to like peak record session dot current or whatever. And that service usually gets new methods as we need more things, right? So you want like is authenticated, is not authenticated, that's pretty easy. Now you have like is subscriber because a user in Embermap could be authenticated, so they could be logged in, but they could not have a subscription. So now you have those two states and you know maybe that maybe that delegates to the the user model. So you can ask it whether a user subscribed or not. Um, and so normally what happens is like, I'm making a new template, I'm making a new view of something, and I need to change based on whether the user, current user is subscribed or not. So what do I do? I open my component, inject a service, and I start using the service in all these ways. But it's like, what if you're just in template land, and now you have to do this kind of, I mean, the DI system in Ember is great, injecting the current session is easy. But what we started realizing was we were going through that and you know, this is a theme that comes up, like it's come up in our training, 
when you're first teaching Ember to someone, you know, in our own work together, just pairing, if you can compose in a template, it's just, that's where you want to go to every single time. And so with KenWatch, you had this idea. Yeah, so the, the, there's a KenWatch component and that thing just yields out that service. That, that you're talking about injecting. So and I guess it yields, it yields out a property of that service. Right, Let, maybe let's do the with session. That was the first, with session is, is actually the current session. So with session yields yes. out the current session. So you can say with session as current session. So so we're talking about another component. Here. And then so Ken, yeah, we are talking about another component. So Ken watch is like, a, is, is a refinement of that. It's like a special use it's case. It's like a narrow, narrowed vision of, of the session component. So, exactly. So the component is with dash session as session and that thing just yields out the session service so when you're in a template like you said and you want to just get some session data you don't have to inject the session you just do curly curly with session is session session dot is logged in yep and the benefits of this are I, composition I mean, and templates would be one thing yeah i mean this might be kind of lame but it's just faster it's faster it's not lame it's I was also it's not lame because not is it just about saving some keystrokes or even potentially creating an entire new component file the thing is that it's a point of it's a point of abstraction so what if the session requires some additional work to fetch and so we've had apps before where you inject the mm. current session then make sure to call dot fetch on it before you use it the component can take care of all that stuff like when to render the child template. If, yeah. if it needs to wait, if it needs to wait and um, um, to make a, a network request. Yep. And now you don't have to think about that at all. It's also just going back to like the faster thing. It's just sort of, I'm writing a template. That's how my brain works. Right. Like, you know, when I have a session, I want to display this div, else display that div. And I just, I just want to stay there. I want to be in that little space and not have to move up and down that layer of abstraction. Yeah. Yeah, it feels more natural because because your template is a um, it's a materialized view of state. So if you can access the state easily in the template, it makes sense. Whereas if you want to create an action, like if you tell me to start using all these template helpers to like store, create record, pipe, uh, set username, pipe, I just want to write JavaScript right there. Yes, it's like a set of commands I need to write in an action. I want to write an action. Like when if I want to write an act, well, okay, toggle property. <laughs> <laughs> toggle property, I was gonna say, when if I wanted to write an action and not wanted to go to the actions hash well, and just write it in a template, but then I, the answer is toggle property. Yeah, I think it's what you said though, it's pipe. Pipe is the thing that always says, okay, I should probably go, go make this a, a action in JavaScript. Right, exactly. So the template, when they're talking about the view of data and it's a materialized view of state and having easy access to the state that's relevant, dropping in the component is the best thing to do. And so with session gets you that really easily. And then, so the next one was Ken Watch. So Ken Watch was the next provider component. So what does Ken Watch do? So Ken Watch is, I think it's like Ken-Watch as Ken Watch. And then you have... Um, it takes an argument, I think, because it's for a clip. Oh, it's for a video, yeah. So it's Ken Watch, you know, video, video equals video as Ken Watch. And that thing that gets yielded off, that can watch property that gets yielded back, has like a, a dot yes and a dot no, and I think the no is derived from the yes. But you can do if can watch dot yes, then they can watch this video. Um, if can watch dot no, they can't. So that's really cool because now um, that thing is using the current user, it's using the current session service, it's using the permissions on the video, whether the video is a subscriber only, an email only, a public, and, um, but if you have some template logic that just, you want to show something if the user is blocked from watching this video or you want to show the full transcript if they're able to do it, now you can just do it and you don't have to know any of those details. Yeah. So Yehuda once said that uh, HTML syntax, HTML-like syntax, a templating syntax, can really be just thought of as a really easy, convenient way to basically call a function. Or he might've been talking more like bootstrapping an app because he was talking about how Glimmer, how you start Glimmer apps and like you render something. And if you register a web component, let's say you took a, a tree of components and then you created it, wrapped it in a web component. How do you render your app? You just, you just do dash my app. And oh, then it's like a bootstrapping. Yes, that's, that's bootstrap. great. Yeah. yeah, so it's something about it that is extremely nice. It's declarative. It, 
you don't have to like get an instance and then call dot create right it's just that's what you're it is what you're saying and so i think that comes back to some of the stuff where it's like i want to know if the current user can watch this stuff and if i can have a declarative component that does that it's great nice so the so that kind of leads to what your tweet was about which was the forum stuff yeah so i guess in the past we had always done sort of like our examples like blog post edit form and that that takes a blog post so blog post edit form post equals post and we like this pattern because basically saying like okay you can have a component that just takes one argument it's a domain component it knows how to edit a blog post it knows how to save the blog post knows how to render the blog post form um, and I, I still think this is a really good pattern right some of the trouble where we run into is like okay well if the admin is editing a blog post I need like um, I actually want to control the template where if a regular user is editing the blog post there's like maybe you have different auth levels you have like editor admin something else and they all have different like editing views right and that sort of forces you to say like okay I'm still gonna have the smart component but I'm gonna yield out like a bunch of controls so I'm gonna yield out like the uh, copy editor and and a, a text field that lets you edit the copy and I'm gonna yield out a save button, I'm gonna yield out a cancel button. And then, you know, every user of this component can then kind of wire those things up together. The thing we kind of realized is that when you're using one of these components and you, you get this like, um, you know, blog post editor dot save button, you don't really know what that thing is. Like, is that thing a button? Is that thing like a button group? You kind of have to dig into that component and really and really like understand like oh yeah this is what it means to be a blog post save button right so where this came up with uh, with our case was the sign-in form so there's a couple of ways you can sign in on ember map and so the first time you make a sign-in form yeah just make a sign-in form user sign user sign-in form. Sign form that's it because you know again this comes from like there's no reason to make everything data on actions up there's no reason to like make all the actions in the route you're going to be using this thing to help you structure all the complexities of DOM and, and the HTML and CSS you need to write and you just make these the components are just they're not the components are being used for structural boundaries not for logical separation of concerns you're using it because you don't want to put this much HT, you know handlebars in your route level template but it's just for the structure of everything and the concerns aren't being separated by these component boundaries it's literally just to help you understand and just make smaller files to work with. But then you need another sign-in form. And so now it's like you said, you have my original sign-in form, and now I'm like, what are the same things between these two? I'm gonna to try to come up with an abstraction. Like every sign-in form needs an email email field, and every sign-in form needs like a sign-in button, but then like it also needs the errors. So you start yielding certain things, but you're making up an abstraction right there, and it's just hard to get it right. Yeah. And it's then now you talk about, you know, there's three other forms on your right. site that need the same thing. So now you have three different forms. They each have their own abstraction. Yep. And it's, it's just, again, it's really hard to know when something yields you like in a button. You don't know what that button thing is. Right. Because that's not a button you use every day. That's right. It's like a button made for this component. Exactly. And I mean, come on, there's tons of times where you're like, Oh yeah, the button. There's been new business logic, and the button has changed. And sometimes it's a link, and so it just doesn't have the same button API that the rest of the buttons in your app have. Right. Exactly. And so, right. And then you just, I mean, really, you just put yourself in the shoes of someone new coming in the code base. Again, the point of an abstraction is to make it. Oh yeah, if you need this form, you get to just use this and not worry about the internal things. But if you need to make a new form and you get this, you know, user form dot button. Uh, you have no idea what that is, like you were just saying. A new person would not know what that is. However, what we kind of realized when we were pairing is, you know, we have these primitives in our apps, like UI form, UI input, and those are like the primitive level. So like every form ever is going to use a UI input, and we do this with all of our apps. Right. And you can think of a UI input, like that is an input tag with styling that is specific to the app. But it is nothing, there is no, there, there's no label attached to that thing, right. there's no errors attached, like that... UI input like maps to, you know, angle bracket input. Right. And the styling that it has, there's variants of it. But the variants, again, are the lowest level and support every form in the application. So, you know, we, we're just finishing up with a form heavy app 
and there might be like four different colors and three different sizes, but those are all UI input. We never put a dash, we never put a dash input, a tag input in any of our templates. We're right. just using UI input and that helps us constrain the interface. So that part of the abstraction is right, but then this was where it failed. And so what we kind of realized was like, instead of how can we use the component boundaries to help separate the logic pieces? And this is where the provider comes in and the presenter comes in. Because if you're working in an app, or even if you had a style guide that was showing off UI form, UI input, all this stuff, that's, that's something anyone can understand. Anyone can look at Bootstrap and say, okay, now I know how to render a horizontal form, now I know how to render a vertical form. It's, it's not just that, though. You're gonna be using that component every single day. Right, right. And so you're gonna get that, that, that UI inputs API is gonna be really intimate. But the, uh, the user sign-in form, you're only gonna look at that form once every six months. Yep. So you're, you're gonna need a refresh of the API every time yep. you go in there. Totally. And so how can we tease these two apart and separate them so that the things that are changing a lot versus the things that aren't changing. So what's not changing? UI input, UI form, um, UI button, right? We use those all the time. Those are not changing. How can we build blog post form in a way that disentangles those two? And that's where the provider comes in. So what we did was, yeah, basically have like a, instead of user sign in form, user equals user, it's like user sign in form provider, user equals user as provider. And what this component yields is everything needed to build any form to sign in a user. So it's all the, can I refine yep. that a little? It's all of the, the business logic needed to sign in a user. So it's like an action, a, a user model. A user model. Um, Basically the, the way I think about it is a stakeholder comes to you and says, we need a new user sign in form right here on the side. And it looks like this. And this is something you've never seen before. Um, the network requests needed to sign in the user, the error messages that are going to happen, the validations, all that stuff should be taken care of by the provider. And you can use UI form and UI inputs to build everything else. Yeah. So it's everything needed to build any. I mean, you don't even have to use UI form. You right. Could, you could build HTML. something. You could build like an on-screen keyboard. Content editable. Yeah, exactly. And then, but that's, <laughs> right. I mean, that's awesome. That's right. like kind of a, you can present the sign-in provider in any way you want. Normally, you're going to present it using UI form, but if you needed to build some crazy, yep. you know, present presentation layer, you could do it. Yep. So let's get to the specifics. So what does a provider provide? So first, uh, you know, it's a sign-in form. It takes an email and um, it has a button. And so the email address, you know, in our apps, we model everything. So everything corresponds to an Ember data model, and we use JSON API. And so um, that sign-in form, you know, we're not usually don't use like local components say for that. We would want a user model because we know we're going to be either posting or you know patching or something to, to slash users. So typically we post to users. If the client app is not aware of a user and you're you're, you're signing in, you're probably you might be creating a user or creating a session or something like this. And just as a side note here, like some folks will post or or patch to session, right? But uh, our sign-in form is also the same thing as creating an account. You right. go through the same process, so you're you're always creating a user on the, the UI side. So it's we're always posting to user. Right, right. There's a couple of ways you can do that. That's where it is right now. So that's going to be the, the you want to basically if you were to do this all by hand, store.create record user, and then you know input value equals user dot email. And so what what you do with the provider is provider you know, user sign in form provider as provider, provider.user.email basically. Provider.user is the model. That way when um, you get like a validated email address, or let's say you had a name as well and you wanted to write out like hello first name, you can just do hello comma provider.user.first name. Yeah. And you're not creating anything in a route, you're not creating a model, the component's taking care of all of that. The next thing you need to sign in is, is, is to submit the form and so, this is where you would attach um, provider.actions.signin, let's say. And you would just be able to use UI button on click or the UI form submit equals action provider.actions.signin. And so this is, it's really cool looking at the template because you're seeing the boundaries and it works so well. You have the business logic and you have the presentational components. And um, yeah, it's just really nice. Yeah. Um, and it's flexible and you know 
it's it's it gives you more control the thing that we're still working through i'm still thinking a lot about is like you still want to make it easy for people to add a sign-in form if they need to but now you can abstract away the visual similarities from one sign-in form to the next which is probably going to be more likely like what one form looks like to the next like we probably have two or three kinds of forms in the app like small full width or like larger like two column like 33 and 66 percent and now you can go to town on those abstractions and come up with a nice set of components that make it easy to add ui forms and then all you need is a provider you could have two different two different developers working on those things you know if you had a complex provider that someone who is more familiar with how data goes across the network and someone who's more familiar with you know html and css and wants to make some really good abstractions there like the, Boom. the the beauty of this is that the contract or the boundary is just so clear. Yeah, it's here's I'm responsible for saving the data and updating the data, and you're responsible for presenting the data. Right. So it's so it's, it's really really yeah nice. it's really cool. So I w- I will say that with this provider pattern, it's I I like it, but I don't know if you should just. If you only have one user sign in form, you should just have one user sign in form, and you don't have to worry about untangling the two things because that user sign-in form is probably doing presentation and data right if you have just that one component it's really when you get to multiple that you need to, to right. untangle this and you want to share the business logic yeah you're basically saying there's business logic and it's always going to work like this but i don't know the ways in which it will be shown to users right um, that's when you want to to take this pattern on right so i do have a vision in the future that all the stuff that we do with our UI forms and yielding the inputs and passing the form object through and wiring up the validations that, you know, snap my fingers, that's an add-on that we use in every single app. I mean, totally. How do you build a form in in Rails? Yeah. You know, Form 4 or whatever. Form 4 takes a model. The model has the business logic and Form 4 has the presentation. Yeah, exactly. So... I feel like there is a way to do that where we would always use UI form. I guess you could still you could always make a blog post form and just use UI form inside of it. Yeah, and that's yeah, that's, that's what, what that's what I that's what I would do. That's why I still like the blog post form as component. a first step. Yeah, as a first step. Yeah, because you know. Yeah, it, well, it's what we were saying, right? When you start and you're just making big things, and then you start breaking them down, you're using component boundaries to help just to break up the structure, just so I can see header, body, footer. I'm not reusing header. But I make a header component. I mean, if you are, that's something <laughs> I, uh, bigger I problem. <laughs> uh, you still make a header component because it's just easier. Like every time I open an application template, I don't want to see every all the markup for header. Yeah. But if I want to work on header, I want to be able to command P and header. So that's fine. But that's structure. That's not separation of logic, and that's not about reuse. But that's fine. Um, I think it took the Ember community a while to get there, but it's fine. Because <laughs> remember, components back in the day. Remember, we you know that was just the whole thing. Yeah, I, I think you can still reuse components, but have them not yield data. So I think you can have Oh, a- absolutely. But I'm just saying um, you're talking about when to componentize things and where the boundaries should be. And I think I'm agreeing with you. I'm saying um, start off with just for structure. And when you have a blog post form, that's like an isolated area of responsibility. And you just put all the logic in there. But then when you need reuse of certain parts of it, but not all of it, this is a great way to do that. It's just another pattern to be aware of. To know, like, hey, you know, for this these three forms, I have to fetch the same data and I have to make the same call to the network. So now I can wrap that up in a provider. You know what really excites me about this? We're we're kind of at two ends here. We have like the the blog post form or the user sign in form component that just does everything. And at the other end, we have a provider that basically just yields out some data, some actions. Doesn't render anything. Doesn't render anything, and then you basically use all these like low-level primitive components like UI input to wire that up. But there's probably some middle ground where you still have the provider that only yields out data and actions, but then you can use some higher-level components like uh, this is like a... Horizontal form? Exactly. Yeah. This is a this section form. This right. Is a, and, and so the fact right. that those things can compose together. Yes. It's and I amazing. think we'll... I don't know what they are now, yes. but as we start to build these... UI input, UI form, low-level forms, we'll, we'll see patterns emerge and, and we'll know where the abstractions are. And it lets you focus on them too because now you're not like, oh, that thing that's all wrapped up with the logic of the user sign-in, it's harder to compare that to the form for adding a team member or something yeah. like that. But now you can just look at those templates 
they're both going to be made up of UI form primitives inside of a provider block, and yeah. so you can just see it. I would love to know that like folks that work on bigger Ember apps, like with big teams, especially like teams where folks have different skill sets, is this like a pattern that they just kind of found themselves that they naturally fell into? Um, yeah, just I'd love to know what other people are using here. Totally. I mean, you know, I think um, for us, like. We've been using technically renderless components for a while with things like KenWatch, but it's good to have a name for them and talk about them because it helps us see where else they can be used and also like just establish the pattern like, oh, this is a this is a provider right here. Yeah, I mean it's starting off on the twenty fifth yes. floor. Yes. And not, not having, having to create this tell a story every app. before I <laughs> then we do a code review. It's exactly. Like, no, this is a, a provider component. Okay, great. Right. And the first thing you said when we did this was like, is this something we would use in all? Because we have like three or four apps in our mind right now, big ones that we've been working on over the last year. And as soon as we did this, you were like, would we, you were like, would we use this in all of our apps? And it was like, yeah, we would yeah. use this in every single app. So it's like, oh, wow. Now all of UI form and the inputs and client, the way we do, you know, we have client side validations, we have client side sync validations, client side async validations, and server side validations. We separate those concepts. We wire them up so that every input, every contextual input yielded from UI form is aware of them. If it's valid, if there's any of those that are not valid, so that you can customize how those are displayed. We look at errors. That's like a group list of everything that's yielded. All that stuff is wired up and it's in every app, but um, it was always intertangled with the business logic. Yeah. And as soon as you saw that, you were like, wait, now we can just take all that stuff. It's all presentational logic. you know. Even though it's like, again, it's hard to think about. It's about validations but it can be agnostic about where the validations come from. A provider can provide contextual validations, right? So like if you need not just an email to be valid, but it need to be a certain kind of email. And this is, again, this is like totally works with business logic, right? Because like, give me the provider, yeah, give me the provider for this type of user with this type of email address. Yep. So it's like, yep. the provider knows all that. You don't have to change the form. Right. That's pretty impressive. Real powerful. Yeah. And so you can imagine like a documentation section of your style guide where you're documenting a provider component and saying, "You, hey, application developer, you need to add like um, email course sign up to this part of the screen. Use the email course provider form provider, and here's how you here's what you need to do. You need wire an action, a validation, and a field or whatever. Yeah, and it's just like, okay, now go to town. Yeah, pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, there's like a lot here. Like, so we're moving more stuff into the template, and especially when you start talking about like async stuff." And you know what should the flow be in terms of like providers that require data from the network from from the server? I mean, yeah. you know, just to there is something you just said that that is kind of important here that the you are moving more stuff into the template. So if your all of your session data is available from like a uh, you know with session mm -hmm. or all of like your user data is from like a user provider, it's hard to then use this stuff in like a route or in a controller because all that logic gets wrapped up in a component that gets yielded out. And although there are ways to hack this, you shouldn't be rendering a component that yields data that like the route then uses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so this is like, I mean, this made me think of, you know, in React, there's only components. And so when you look at the APIs for things like React Router or Redux providers and contexts, you're always doing it like, or, or a style, there's some style ad apps where they're like a theme provider. I, I was just gonna say, like, isn't there like a joke somewhere where there's like a React template that has like theme provider, context yeah, provider, exactly. user provider, and they're all this nested right, right. HTML. Right, right. And I think, I think, you know, that it's obviously there's a there's a be beauty in the simplicity of, yeah. of, of one way to do it. I also think it's having a service injection is great. And um, there's times where you make a component and you inject a service and do some work caching or whatever it has no UI at all and so you wouldn't want to have to make a template just to render a component just to get access to the data to use it in your component file so yeah. I think it's nice that we actually have both and it's nice that we have the DI system so we don't have to always wrap app in a provider just to get it somewhere down in the tree mm. so I actually really like that we have both options it's just we've always had the one option with DI and inject a service and this is a way to provide it in a template. So I actually think there's uses for both. Right, the thing is never gonna be used as template code in template logic, then yeah, you don't have to waste. Yeah, you just inject service and do current, yeah. sesh dot, current session. Dot. Yeah, exactly, don't yeah. waste indentation. And there's we've talked about this before as well, something Angular 1 had that was great, 
was basically components at the attribute level. So there's, there are modes of composition that don't lend themselves to nesting. There are certain modes of composition that don't lend themselves well to nesting. But when nesting is the only thing you have, then you have something that's like theme provider, session provider, uh, whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's all, like... All these things are operating at the same level. Exactly. So if you switched theme provider, session provider to session provider, theme provider, it makes no difference. Exactly. So that seems wrong, right? Yes. Yeah. So think about in Rails, you include modules. It's whatever. What were the, the ones from DHH? Firehosable. Oh, yeah. <laughs> reactable. Right, those are at the same level. Yep. You, you would want an API like that. It matches what you're talking about. It's more like extends, you know, it's composition at that level. Mm-hmm. So, so, anyways, you can do that easy. Like if you open a component and you see like four services injected, that makes sense. Like those are just all the top level things that this component needs. If you have like a nesting thing, a route provider and a theme, that's kind of weird. So I would love if we had, you know, we've talked about like um, element space modifiers. But that's like another thing. <laughs> but like you could you could imagine that. We're really going deep here. Yeah, you could imagine that. But for now, like um, I think the main point is just that I like that we have both template injection, mm-hmm. basically template injection, right? It's template injection of context. It's, te- it's template injection of, of, of application level, um, like singleton data. Yeah. Hey, I have, a, I have a question. So we're talking like what this really comes down to is composition yes. and templates. Do you think like with the the DI service injection that you have in like the JavaScript object land, and then these contextual provider components that compose with other components, and then you know you, you briefly brought up element modifiers mm-hmm. that you know they can compose a bunch of behavior. Almost like mixins. Yeah, compose a bunch of behavior, a bunch of mixins mm-hmm. on like a single element. Mm-hmm. Is that it? Like, does that tell a complete kind of like composition story? Do you see, or do you see like us keep discovering more? patterns of composition yeah. I mean the the mixin the flat list of mixins is definitely something that's needed in template land that we don't have um, we've seen this with like animation where to animate something you have to wrap it but that doesn't always make sense like it can add markup like an animation should be able to act on an existing element how do you model that yeah in handlebars I do this with like, I have like something should like flash, it should highlight and like flash and I make like this wrapping div to highlight its children. Yeah, exactly. But it's like, I really just want to say like, no, I've got the span, highlight it. Exactly. And I want that modifier. On exactly. Like think how jQuery plugins work. You like target the existing thing and modify it and you want those modifiers to be able to stack and work together on the same thing, not always have to nest. In terms of like our other composition model going to emerge, I mean, I, I don't know. Um, but I think... Um, no, it's kind of like it's kind of like nesting is almost it's not inheritance because you're composing things it's it's um it's just a different relationship like the nesting the tree nesting makes sense for lots of areas of of the program because it's just natural yeah, but it's like you, you said when you have a tree of data yeah when you have a tree of data right um um or also like the blocks like liquid if else you know, if, if, if it represents like that structured model of programming. So that's a natural representation, but like definitely like if you have a theme provider and then a route provider and you switch those and it doesn't change anything, feels wrong. Yeah. So I think that's where we could use some more, um, some more tools, but um, um, yeah, anyways, so pretty interesting stuff. Fun stuff, super fun stuff. Real fun, <laughs> and I think we'll, we'll continue to um, work on this. I mean, yeah, like it's just funny because the, the work I was doing on Embermap this week, the template is like, it's like with session, and then it's like a UI container, and then it's like this sign-in form provider, and then it's a UI form, and you're looking at it, and you're like, this is awesome. Like, I feel like Superman, I can use any one of these together in new ways. Well, also, when you showed this to me, like we both got it, we both loved it. Right. But then I was working on something else that was a little similar, and I was just like, okay, I'm just gonna steal this pattern. Yep. Like I know that the UI form works with the provider that Sam made, I need to make another provider. Just it takes a model. Awesome. It's it just submits so, button. Yeah. Every submit, every form has a submit. But yeah, it's it's great. I think the new challenge is going to be you know it's just this back and forth where now we have way more flexibility. So if you just went there in six months, you have this being used in all sorts of ways, and we're back to other problems we've had where it's like 
okay, I want to know how buttons are being used in my application. I want to know how titles are being used. Yeah. And so you want some higher level, like UI form style horizontal. And that takes care of a lot of stuff it's, for you. It's funny how the, the yes. pendulum swings. Yes. But it, it is true that if you push it on the programmer to use a provider and build their own form, you're going to, in you know, six months, you're going to have 17 different forms. Yeah, exactly. So. Exactly. <laughs> no, I think the key thing here, though, is that it decomposes, which is something yeah. we, we come back to a lot. So, so... If you had a if you if you needed to build something new and you looked at an existing template and it was like UI form and then it was like variant horizontal, but it's working with a provider, you have a new provider, you see how to wire it up, but you don't need a horizontal form, but you know how UI form works. So you can just yeah. you can instantly go there without having to open all this stuff. So I think that's really powerful. Um, because that, again, it's like we were talking about earlier, is like you can come up with that middle ground of higher level abstractions. It's like the Brad Frost thing. Like you've got the primitives, which are like UI input instead of input tag. Then you've got like the whatever atoms or molecules, which are like UI form. You need something that's like, here's how we use this in the app. There's like four ways we use it. Yeah. And sometimes that's going to be hard to just jump to a component. Sometimes you just want to start with like, just copy this markup the way you would bootstrap. Um, but then eventually you can come up with like um, the component interface to make it more restricted and easy to use. I want to come up with like some flashy tagline for these these provider components. Like they let you use the components that you use every day. You know, something like that. Like yeah, yeah, because that's a, that's a big benefit. You can just all you're always using the same form component. You're just different composing it with different providers. Yep. So. Yep. It's nice too. It also made me think like there's a lot of concepts that have been in. You know, since Backbone and Angular, Knockout even, and some of the same concepts in UI development, especially in JavaScript land, you know, kind of come and go, and they come back, and they're called new things. So, you know, data provider components, provider components, renderless components, uh, render props, um, you know, um, contextual, uh, contextual components. components. Yeah. It's all the same thing, but. I think there's something of value to, there's names that resonate more with a certain generation or a certain crop of programmers. So like state hoisting, for example, versus lowest common ancestor. Maybe they mean the same thing, but state hoisting, it makes, it's just more obvious. Or prop drilling. Prop drilling, everyone knows what that means right away. Yeah. Versus like, um, you know, whatever, uh, highly coupled component tree or something like that. So. Um, you know, there's a thing like a lot of a lot of programmers say like, oh, everything old is new again. Yeah. And I don't, but it, it's there's some truth to that, but it's not really because yeah. there's just little refinements and those those little tiny refinements like they just expand the vocabulary. They, it's all scaffolding. Like it lets us just start off up on a higher floor. Right. And so yeah, I I love that we're refining the ideas. Yes, absolutely. Being able it. to see them in new ways. Um, yeah, we could have talked about renderless components until we're blue in the face two years ago. But with our experience now, we understand way more going into a new problem where they would apply. Yeah, um, totally. And it also helps just seeing how people in React are using them, right? So like, um, we never use a component to yield router info. But with React Router, that's how they work, right? It's like they use a provider component to yield out the data needed to render like the current route, the current route component um, with match or whatever. And that's like done via a provider component. And so that's interesting. So it starts getting you thinking like, oh wow, what else can we provide? And then also like, where does this pattern make sense for this problem where it doesn't make sense? Because I yeah. think it's, it's not necessarily like, should be everywhere, obviously. It's, it's one of many patterns, but it really applies in these cases, so. Nice. Um, cool, so you add on the five providers, you know, you'll maintain that. And then when you're done with that, do the UI form, wire it all up, we'll be good to go. Yeah, and this, these providers, our APIs for them are going to change. We've, we've already been discussing, like, how should we yield out actions? Yeah. Should they be in their own hash? Should they be directly yielded yep. out? So these, you know, we're in the... Um, we're early stages. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of churn here. Yeah. But we know we, know we recognize there's something here. Definitely. Like it. Definitely. Yeah, I think at this point it's more just teaching, you know, um, getting the idea out there, talking with people, seeing how they're using it too. Because I know other people are using it. They reacted to your to your tweet saying, you know, we call these these things, yeah. or um, you know, this is how we use them. So I'm sure every team is using these in some degree, and every team is not aware of how they can be used in certain situations that would help them. So that's why I like the idea of like giving them a name. How are you using provider components in your Ember app? 
That's great. So that's really great. So yeah. cool stuff. So uh, you put up a video on Ember Map this week. Did I? Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's a video you made last week that you published. This that's week. right. That's yeah. right. Yep. Truncating text with Tailwind. Nice. So yeah, one of the motivations for the Tailwind course, you know, I know not everybody uh, uses Tailwind, or not everyone uses utility for CSS, functional CSS, and we try to make stuff that every Ember developer would benefit from learning and watching. Like that's that's part of our goals for for the site. Um, obviously, some things are going to be more specific to others, but um, we still want it to be useful for every Ember developer. Should understand some of the concepts. And one of the main reasons we decided to make the Tailwind course, in spite of everyone not using Tailwind, is that um, the UI components discussion that was part of our training at EmberConf. And the idea there is, what are some patterns for, it's kind of like what we were just talking about, higher level ways of taking primitives and putting them together in ways that can be reused easily and have a constrained interface. So that was a, a big part of the discussion at, at the training. And um, the video um, from this week and last week, you know, we're building up a Slack clone. And a lot of it is at this point, learning how to work with Tailwind, just to expose people to the idea of utility for CSS because we, we like it so much. But beyond that, there's gonna be, you know, once we get to the meat of the app and we have multiple kinds of buttons, multiple kinds of inputs and titles and text, that's I think where the real fun is, is gonna happen. And so, um, that's going to be a part where we get to discuss things like build time components and you know not using HTML as a second class citizen and um, how the UI components can replace basically everything you know ideally um, and and you won't because of build time components you won't pay like a trade off you won't pay a cost for using components everywhere right <laughs> exactly not and everywhere I, but most places most places and I and I think that's what that's, that's one of the things, even if we were not to do, if we were to go back or join an app where we weren't using utility first CSS, weren't using Tailwind, we were writing them in like BEM style, we would still see that differently than we used to. CSS classes, naming conventions, all that stuff, those are like implementation details and an application developer should not have to think about those things when they're rendering parts of your UI library. Yeah, I would still want, yeah, I mean, I'm just going to repeat what you just said just because it's, it's important. It, it really hits home. But like, I don't really, I would rather write Tailwind over BEM. Right. But if I had to use BEM, it, I wouldn't mind. But one of the first things I would do is I would, just like I would encapsulate all the Tailwind stuff in a component, I would encapsulate all the BEM stuff in a component. Right. And I think Tailwind really like, I mean, it brought it to light because it really, it, it, you hit a, you hit that issue in the head right yeah, away because yes. you're staring at an A tag that has 45 classes yes. on it and you're like, how can I maintain this? I can't. Right. And then it forces you to think, well, actually I can maintain this. I can maintain it by making like a UI link component. Totally. No, I really love the way you phrase that because I think that reaction that people have to seeing all those classes is this is unmaintainable when in reality, the idea of like coming up with a naming scheme and being artisanal and crafting your HTML and CSS in order to maintain it is thinking at the wrong level, we would argue. And we would say, Ember provides us with a great interface for reuse and constrained calling. You know, just like if you were doing OOP design for some library and you abstract details away into higher level interfaces and expose a subset as a public interface, it's the same idea. And if you're really fond of your BEM style names of your classes and um, you know you love seeing that that structure in your templates you're never gonna think I should be abstracting if this. you really love hitting the underscore key yeah <laughs> but like those are implementation details yeah. they are yes they are a absolutely so um, you know again there's always this trade-off like I'm building something new and I want to just go to town and paint my brush stroke and, and not think like I know HTML CSS I just want to go to town but then it's like, it comes time, okay, what is the public interface of this thing I just made? What is the restricted interface? How can I hide away the implementation details? And to me, that's where the UI components are really important. And like, you know, we've been using UI components of our own kind for a long time. We've come up with an API that we like for basically variants. Like, you know, is it button color equals blue, size equal large, or is it 
button style equals large blue. You know, we like that. It's more. It feels like more like classes and it's just composable. And we have mixins that help manage all that. And the goal is to make it build time, like you were saying, so that it compiles down to HTML and CSS. But from the programmer's perspective, you're working with this really slim interface, and that is the key part for us. And we were even able to change, like from tachyons to tailwind, in an app. Yeah. And which points to how much of an implementation detail the functional stuff is, which I think is key. So for me, the larger lesson with the functional CSS and the Tailwind stuff, that stuff is interesting. I feel very productive with it, more productive than, than I've ever been with any other kind of CSS approach. But the important point is like the UI components. And again, this is something where I could see, you know, if I had clones of myself and we could work on like a UI components add-on, there is an abstraction there that every Ember developer could be using that's a way to define variants, a way to, it's an entry point for styling a component. Because at the end of the day, we don't have that. I mean, if you say, we don't have a, a unified way for styling components. And if you say it's with class. Well, no, you just know we don't because if I if we open 10 random Ember apps right now, yeah. they would all have different ways of styling components. I mean, the lowest level is HTML and CSS and it's too low level, yeah. right? It's, it's too low level. Someone can always say, you can install my add-on and if you need to style it, just use HTML and CSS. Like, I'll tell you what the classes are, and you can target those with your CSS, and you can go to town. So someone could argue, I'm just trying to but, play but devil's that, advocate. But that doesn't, so I, the issue I always run into there is the variance, where you yeah. provide a date picker, yeah. and I can style it, but then I need two date pickers. Right. Or a panel that doesn't have a shadow yeah. or something like exactly. that. Exactly. And this is, this is exactly. I've said this before, but this is a problem with Bootstrap, is that eventually you run into the point where you need two panels or three panels, and Bootstrap only gives you one, and you're just kind of like, okay, go yeah, you're <laughs> enjoy go. the uh, bang important. You know? <laughs> yeah. So yes, 100% agree. And to me, all the pains that people feel with this, it's not a sign that they don't know CSS. It's a sign that there needs to be better defined higher level entry points for what it means to render a certain variant of a style component. And you can come up with that API in a way that doesn't prescribe the implementation details. You can come up with an API that says, here's how you define a variant of your component, but you don't have to use Tailwind to do that. You know, I love how you made the parallel to, to object-oriented programming and how you'd have like the implementation details and the public API. And like as a programmer, it's like, oh yeah, I can, I can make OO interfaces all day. Right. But then like you're like, Go make a bunch of buttons and right. make them look good. I just like... 14 hours later. Yeah, and like frustrated <laughs> yes. and cursing. Right. And, you know, no idea where to start, no idea what to refactor. Right. So like, yeah, the more you can kind of get me in that line of thinking, the the, happier the better I'll be, the better the app will be. So. Right. Right. And with, when you're doing OOP and defining interfaces, you're constantly working on them and writing tests for them and iterating improving them and realizing like, what's what do I need? What's private? What's public? Yeah. You're thinking about that. We don't do that with... Refining it. Yeah. Like, how is it used? Yes. Where is it used? Yes. Yeah. No way. With, I mean, CSS, it's padding right 14 pixels. Yeah. <laughs> style tag. That's why with our UI components, you actually can't pass inline styles or classes. So you can't do it. So if we have a UI button in Ember map right now and someone were at a button and they're just like, I want to make this yellow. And so they render a UI button, they get the padding values, they get the text values, they get the uppercase, the bold, and then they try class equals, you know, background yellow or something. It's not going to work intentionally because you should, for the same reason that private variables in class are private, and you shouldn't be able to new up a class and then just start messing with the private data. By the way, I think the, the audience is very polarized right now. Hey, there's that's... people screaming like, yes, I love it. And there's other people that are like, nope, <laughs> nope. <Yeah. laughs> but, um, but that's why we have to figure out, we have to figure out what those boundaries are, you know, so that when people get pissed off, we have a good reason to tell them <laughs> why, why it is the way it is. They just tell me I never have to write CSS and I'll, <laughs> I'll do whatever. <laughs> and that is, I mean, but that is, that is the challenge. It's, it's with any abstraction. The wrong abstraction is, it sucks. I mean, it's super it's painful. Super painful. Yeah. So that's when people are like, dude, everything you're telling me, I just want to write HTML and CSS. But at the end of the day, I believe in my heart of hearts that there is an abstraction that every Ember app could be using that would be a unified way to define variants that compose with each other you know, and um, 
Yeah, it's a really good point. Like, I've been burnt by abstractions before, and then it's like I just write off that entire category. Like, right. That thing cannot be abstracted. Right. And so, yeah, it's... But yeah. I don't... Yeah, I'm such a believer in abstractions, <laughs> even though I... I mean, ask me when I'm getting burned and I'll say something yeah. different. But for the most part, like, think about everything that's been abstracted away, you know, starting from HTTP and all the work that the browser does when painting our app. Yeah, I, I, I write out my, my TCP connections by hand. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> With that, uh, where can folks uh, reach out to us if they want to talk about this or ask quest- any questions? So, Twitter at ember underscore map maybe that's like that underscore is like leftover from our bem days oh yeah that's good yeah. should have two underscores yeah, should, yeah there you go capital e and v e r underscore underscore map dash dash, dash. active yeah <laughs> at ember underscore map <laughs> um we have uh two slacks two slacks so we have an ember community slack topic ember map and then we have the ember map private slack so if you're an ember map subscriber come in there we have uh, great discussions you know every day about just folks building ember map or sorry folks building ember apps at their podcast yeah yep so um yeah i would say those those three places are the, the best places to get in touch nice have you built the voicemail recorder yet <laughs> i'm really excited about this did i i want people to call in and like did I like commit to this in a previous episode? Leave like a 10 minute <laughs> question about like, they start talking about Ember, but then Anna talking about like their girlfriend or boyfriend They're or something. They're just like ranting. Yeah, and we just yeah. play it back and then answer it live. <laughs> what do you think? Well, your problem was that you used BAM and not... <laughs> the next nothing... time you look for a boyfriend, make sure you <laughs> make learn sure. functional CSS. <laughs> um, there's gotta be some, some app that does this. I think there there's is. like some call in. But well, we're going to build it ourselves because that's what developers do. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for joining us this week and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye.